Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hey, hey, Rush Nation, what is happening? We're back in the studio. I'm back with Murph. Murph, we missed you yesterday, man. Welcome back. How you doing? I'm good. Yes, yesterday, unfortunately, uh, couldn't be helped. I had a long job interview that overran, and then uh, I went to uh, the Keeping Baby Alive course. Graduated. Um, they don't give you a certificate like they do if you're Drew Brees and you've uh, you know thrown X <laughs> amount of passes or turned up to so many minutes or whatever he gets a certificate for these days. But um, you know it was good to to have graduated from what we call baby school and uh, job interview went well. So all in all positive, but yes, gutted I missed out yesterday. Uh, Travis uh, seemed awesome and uh, we'll get it back on. Yeah, it was a good one. And Lee stepped in as well. It was good to have Lee on the pod. So shout out to you, Lee. Thanks for filling Murph's sizable shoes. You did pretty well. Yeah. Cheers for that. And well, I didn't say you filled them entirely, <laughs> did I? You know, it just plugged the hole big enough for you to come back. Listen, you're back. It doesn't matter. I thought you were making a big guy joke there. No, of course not. I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> How dare you? Anyway, today's guest. Yep, we've got another one. This one, Rush Nation, is pretty good. And there's a little bit of conflict that we'll mention in a bit because of the Scott Fishbowl. So today's guest is Dwayne McFarland. He's writer for the Football Guys, Matt Waldman, RSP. He's co-host of the Fantasy Football Hustle podcast. But most importantly, he's one of the guys trying to stop us from winning the Scott Fishbowl. Dwayne, welcome to Five Yard Rush. How are you doing? Hey, man. It's just great to be on with you guys. And yes, my goal is to stop you. 
I don't. I don't know how to take that. We've been really hospitable and chatting before. <laughs> well, you, you said I was a pretty good guest. I mean, I was expecting more, but anyway. <laughs> well, we can we can always upgrade that as we go through the podcast. If we start too high and it's terrible, then who knows where we end? That's true. Okay, so okay, so like if if you guys if you upgrade it to we have a great guest today, that means in week one I like have to bench one of my elite starters. Is that right? Okay, so how about this? Yeah, I think we may play in week one. Actually, I haven't looked, but I feel like we. I don't think we're playing week one. I will. Okay. I will find out whilst we're talking. I know it's not week <laughs> one, um, but that was a fun draft. Well, well, considering Dwayne just said, if we say he's a great guest, he's going to bench one of his starters. I'm going to restart this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hang on, Dwayne. You're going to have to bench everybody. Rush Nation. <laughs> it's Dwayne McFarland, without a shadow of a doubt, the best guest we have ever had, will ever have, or just everyone else. Drop the mic. Dwayne, bench everybody. We're winning our matchup. <laughs> Okay, hopefully that week I just have I'm a, I'm a bad judge of who's good or bad. <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen, and that'll be the story I'll stick with. It's like you guys don't need, need much help anyway. You guys had a great draft anyway, so uh, I thought you guys had one of the better drafts uh, of the teams in the in our league. Well, thanks very much. How how did your draft go? I I felt great. You know, um, I love those types of formats because it's just a big shakeup, right? For everybody, even, even for industry experts and folks that do this stuff all the time, you know, everybody's kind of got their niche, if you will, of the kind of leagues they like to play in. And so it forces everyone out of that, right? Because you've got the four flex players, you've got a quarterback flex, you've got bonus points, um, you know, for the 50 yards rushing, the 50 yards receiving, you get extra points for tight ends on their catches and on their first downs. You know, when things get tricked out like that, it, it basically pushes everybody out of their comfort zone, which I like. I also like those kind of drafts just because I feel like there's so much flexibility. You don't really have to force anything. Um, there's certain positions you want to make sure it doesn't dry up on you. Like you guys saw that with quarterbacks and things like that in that league. But overall, basically you can, you can draft your favorite players, especially I was a little more fortunate than you guys just from a position you weren't yours wasn't bad but I was right in the middle so I never really had to worry about oh my gosh if I do this is every quarterback going to be gone I could always count here's how many quarterbacks on the side of me that are you know how many teams on on to the right of me that still need a quarterback oh it's five there's there are nine in my tier I'm fine I'll let it go and I'll let it come back you know sometimes with this league since it's a super flex you may have to plan two steps ahead but I never really had to worry about being completely cut off. I knew when I had to take Jameis Winston. I knew when I had to take Kirk Cousins. But honestly, it just kept me wide open early on just to keep taking running backs. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's where our two teams are quite similar. We were both piling on the running backs quite early and it left a few people, uh, should we say, a little light in that area because we, I think, four of our first seven picks were, were running backs. Just out yeah. of interest. Where where did Tyreek go in our Scott Fishbowl draft? I want to say five yeah, three or something yeah. like that. I don't have it in front of us. Fifth round. It'll definitely be a value. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. So, Dwayne, let's get into it. How did you get into football and talking about fantasy football specifically? Honestly, I just started off as a fan of football. I Growing up, my dad was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. So, I grew up being a Cowboys fan. I, I'm, I'm from Texas. I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, you know, my dad is such, you know, he was so into the Cowboys. I remember I was confused as a child because <laughs> we would go to church like all year round until football season would get here. And then we only went to like the early morning Sunday school, but we would then bell out 
between then and church. And we would like run to his truck <laughs> and drive home, you know, to make it home in time to watch the Cowboys game. So um, in those early years, you know, the Cowboys were terrible. So I think it actually made me really learn to actually like the game versus just like a team. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. You know, fantasy was a natural fit for me. I started playing that in 1997 or 98. Yeah, it's like 22 years ago. Um, and so probably like a lot of you guys and a lot of your you know listeners, it was just an extension of if you like American football, you know, fantasy football is fun um, to do. And it, it, it gives you a, a different outlet besides just following a team. You know, obviously, it's been huge for the NFL. It's it's created more fans, a lot of fans that were much more casual or much more serious about it now that fantasy is around. But I've always, I've always honestly just been a huge fan of, of football itself. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I got into the NFL properly. I played a Madden demo. I think it was 2007 and I chose the Broncos as my team from playing that, but never really followed it as such. And then I did a random NFL.com fantasy. I don't even know how I got into doing it. It was just me versus people I didn't know. And from playing fantasy, I really got into the NFL from doing that. So I think it's a really big gateway for people to get into it to start with. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's just a way that I think the reason that people struggle to, to get into fantasy football here in the UK is because they just don't know enough people that are into it. Whereas a Madden League, I think, is a really easy way to, to sort of bridge that path. But I think it's becoming more and more popular. I think social media is starting to do its job in connecting people and people don't feel so bad about joining leagues with random people as long as it's entertaining and it's fun and it's engaging and I think that's what we've always aimed to do with all the leagues that we have set up um, but I feel like now people are shying away from the automatic joining nfl.com with random people like I think they used to I think that that element will really sort of go downwards in the next few years because people just find that those leagues just get abandoned very quickly and, and move on yeah I mean you think of the Facebook groups that we've got just for the nfl uk fantasy pages and stuff people are we had a couple of leagues set up and within what an hour and 20 minutes they were full something like yeah, that it's like so, 40 minutes one of them i think exactly so it's it's mad to see the encouragement i suppose of the community growing just from a facebook group well that and we, we're getting people now that are just messaging us saying really i missed out on one of your leagues when are you doing another one we've said on the podcast <laughs> Hey, we'll keep doing leagues as long as people keep joining. And uh, guys, stop wanting to join because the t-shirt budget is getting massive. <laughs> We're at ten. <laughs> oh dear. Oh anyway, dear. Uh, yeah. So, Dwayne, you've been projecting NFL offenses offenses for twenty years, mostly as a hobby to start. But what made you want to do this, and why? Because I've tried projections, and they're very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things where uh, you know it's just naturally something I've always liked. And I think, you know, when I think bigger picture, if I think beyond like just fantasy football, it's it's kind of how I am with anything, you know, that I'm doing or that I'm getting into. Like my wife says, I'm all or nothing. So I don't have a ton of hobbies. I have like just a few, but I focus on them. And then, you know, when I think about my career, uh, I, I work in data and analytics and in product management. So my job is always to figure out the why behind things. Why does this work this way? Is there a better way? Is there a way to make it more profitable? Is there a way to make it more efficient? All those sort of things. And that's what draws me to that kind of job, right? So it's the same thing with fantasy football. As I got into it and I started to understand, you know, more about it, I kind of felt that I quickly hit this barrier of, wow, I could sit here and read other people's rankings all day, but I really want to understand, you know, besides just the cliche kind of quotes from coaches or whatever an analyst might write um, in an article, what 
what really potentially gives, you know, this offense more upside this year? Or, or, or is there, in fact, any upside with this offense? What does this coaching change mean? And so what that did is it dro- just drove me to, from a standpoint of wanting to understand it more, I felt I needed to start to own that process and start projecting on my own. And so it was kind of a natural fit for me. And so I dug into it from there. And obviously it's iterated a ton along the way, which is the other thing I love about it is it, it never stays static. You know, it's, it's not, I'm to the point now where it's incremental. It's not like I have like these game changing things with my projections every year. Um, but you know, every five, six, seven years, I usually do, you know, if, when I look back cumulatively, I'm like, wow, that probably made a 10 to 15%. That probably made me 10 to 15% more accurate, you know, from that time to now. Yeah. It's, it's just a, such a fascinating exercise to do for anybody who just wants to really get under the skin of the game. Um, it's, it's a lot of work, but I think it's, I think what I like about it is just by doing it, even if you're miles wrong, you learn so much from the process and, you know, we'll, we'll get onto it because you've written a brilliant article that I think a lot of people should read and we're going to reshare it out. And, um, anybody that's just interested in, in projections and just, you know, getting more involved should definitely read it and, and understand it because you, you break it down in such a way that it gives you so much to go on. But what would you, what would you sort of say is the biggest challenge to, to starting uh, when you're thinking about projections? Like I said, we'll get onto it in a minute, but I'm just really curious to see sort of how you started, what made you want to do it. And, and then if you're, if I, you know, for everyone listening, if they want to do projections, what's the biggest challenge? Well, I think the biggest challenge now is if you go out and you're reading, you know, how a lot of people do projections or you're looking at how far along they are. You, I, I could see the barrier being, well, how would I ever catch up to that? And how would I ever do all of those things? Um, You know, back when I started, it was more, well, where can I just get this information to create good projections? Because back then the the data was so limited. I mean, we had carries, we had receptions, we had yards, we had touchdowns. There was no site that did anything with, with percentages or predictability or how sticky or certain stats. So basically, you know, for me, it was like the wild, wild west in a way. I, it was just, it was wide open that I could create, you know, my own metrics and all these different things, which a lot of people have done now. So back then it was more around getting your, figuring out how to get your hands around the right data or, or figuring out how to improve the data by creating metrics and things that would help you along the way out of the limited data sets you have today. It's really, like I said, it can be overwhelming. There's so much data and so much information. It's about finding focus. Where do I start? What's the most important things? And, and we'll obviously, we'll touch on some of those things here in just a bit. And I'm happy to share those. Awesome. That's good. Well, I'm looking forward to that, sir. So we ask one final icebreaker question to all of our guests. And it's, what advice would you give to our listeners who want to talk about their passion, whether it be football, skiing, model trains, snowboarding, diving, anything like that, what advice would you give to them? Yeah. My biggest advice is that, you know, if you're, if you're doing something around your passion, then you're probably doing something right. Um, so keep it, you know, that way. Um, what I've seen with, you know, some counterparts in the industry, um, you know, is sometimes folks, whenever they make it too much about the business or they take it too seriously, which is hard because I'm, I take it really seriously, but what I mean is from the aspect of whenever you're interacting with others, right, in the community. Don't don't let it turn into something where, you know, you always, you know, have to be right or someone else has to be wrong. It's more about what has kept it fun to me is it's this big conversation, 
right? It's like this melting pool of like Twitter is a perfect example, you know, where you go out and, you know, you test your ideas, you test theories, you listen to what other people have to say. That, that for me keeps me passionate about it, right? It keeps me excited to keep doing it. Um, the one thing that I've seen from some folks is whenever they just get so overly serious about just wanting to be the absolute one that's right about things all the time. I've seen those people, they tend to burn out, <laughs> you know, because they're constantly trying to defend why they're right or wrong. You don't need to, you're, you're, you're enjoying yourself. You're having fun. And if you're, if you're having fun and then you're also diligent about what you're doing, you're just going to be quality in what you're doing. So allow that to happen. Yeah, I could, I could testify for that on your behalf. We were we had some great fun in, in the draft uh, on the Twitter conversation. And, you know, everyone kept it quite breezy and it was very conversational. And, you know, there was some, some fun banter and there was some fun sort of, I wouldn't say mudslinging, but, you know, some shade being thrown <laughs> on some folks. But it was it was taken in the right way in great spirit. And I think that's why we had such a great group of people in our draft. And, and it was good fun. And you know, you very much come across as someone who, who likes to have fun with what they're saying and doing, but you also obviously provide great insight as well. Person on Twitter, call me a moron and I may not respond the best way, but I try. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be. And sometimes they're right. And then I, and then I just realize, you know what, they're just right. I'm just wrong on this. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't be right all the time. I've certainly found that out. Absolutely. What? This is news. No, well, there's a couple of times I've made questionable decisions and it's not ended. We won't go down that street. I'm just saying. (laughs) Like, for instance, my lottery numbers Friday. Picked the numbers, didn't win. Got that wrong. I I won't share my thoughts on the lottery on here. It's a family-friendly show. No, that's fine. I'm just saying that was one of the instances I've been wrong. That's fine to be bad. It's just random chance, isn't it? Yeah, but I picked the numbers as opposed to Lucky Dip, so my specific numbers were wrong. I'm not... That's a bad can of worms to open with Murph, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk some fantasy football. How was your 2018 fantasy season? How'd you do? Did you win any championships? Yeah, absolutely. So 28 was pretty good. 2017 was was better, um, but 2018 was still really good. I, you know, the two leagues I care about the most, you know, and I play in somewhere around 30, um, you know, mid-stake, high-stake type drafts, but the two I care about the most are my two uh, home dynasty leagues. And I did win one of those. I won one the I won one of those the year before, and one of those the year before. So I've kind of I think I've got three in a row if I'm remembering correct. If not, one of my league mates will you know definitely be like emailing you guys and telling you to you know redact that or or actually just to point it out and make fun of me um, in the show notes. So <laughs> so those are the ones that I care about the most. Except you know this year it's kind of crazy. So on my uh, on one of my teams and they both finished in the top, um, but one of my teams, I have Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott, right? So it's like, oh man, I'm potentially facing two holdouts. Um, I've got Antonio Brown on that team. So he's changing teams. I've got uh, AJ Green, who's getting a better coordinator, but you know, he's getting older. So it's on that team. I'm kind of like, I'm in that spot where I want to be like Bill Belichick, right? I want to keep the team relevant all the time. So I'm trying to balance trading away pieces, but doing it in a way where I don't just become totally uncompetitive. I want to always keep myself in that window of winning because, you know, there's a lot can happen with injuries and things like that. So those are the two I care about the most. Um, 2017, I had a really big season. Um, I was one Zacherts catch away on Monday night football against the Oakland Raiders from 250 grand, literally one catch away. So I won, I came away with about 55,000 instead that, that season. Um, that was through uh, if, if you're, 
listeners want to know that was through uh, FFPC. So that's fantasy football guys, players championship. They have several formats. That was an actually about, that was in a $300 per contest. So a mid stakes type league. Um, I can't play in it anymore because now I'm on staff with football guys and it's called the football guys, players, players championship, but you guys should check that one out. So should your audience. It's an awesome format. It's a uh, two flex spots. It's tight end premium PPR, um, you'll play against some of the absolute best minds in the fantasy football industry. The guys that play in those mid-stake drafts are the same ones that litter the high, high stakes. When I say high stakes, I'm talking like $10,000 leagues. So I'm talking like your Chad Schroeders, those guys. I mean, yeah. they're some of the best players in the world. So not only do you get to go over and compete with them, you also get to learn from them. And then I use that inf- I, I use that as information to help me go back and look at my projections because if somebody like Chad Schroeder or somebody like that is onto a player, I always look at that and think, wow, here's a guy that's basically a savant. I need to go figure out what is he seeing that I'm not, you know, around player X and around player Z that I've seen him draft three times. So those are good leagues. Yeah. Definitely. It sounds like you need some cheddar to buy in though. Yeah, but they have, they do have cheaper ones. They've got um, $35 best balls. They've got all sorts of stuff. They even do dynasty leagues. So I like them because I've ran into in the past. uh, I played in some different contests. I won't, I won't name them. They're all defunct now, but where, you know, I won some major money and then didn't get a payout and where they were one of the first companies to come along and start to keep all of the prize money in escrow. And so they really did things right from that standpoint. And then the contest just grew from there. It's turning into like what poker was 15 years ago. It is the sense of people now with these big buy-ins and big championships. Now it's, it's amazing. DFS has seemed to have unlocked that. And I I know this is a little bit longer season format, but obviously they, the DFS tournaments now that you can subscribe to, it's really has turned it into almost like a world series of poker. And I, I, I just don't think we're very far away from doing this live. Like I know DraftKings do these live events and things, but I think there's, it's going to not be restricted to them. You're going to have live events where people have flown in and winning multiple millions in just playing fantasy football. It is, is crazy. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know if you guys do any of the contests like that. I, that, that's mostly besides my two home leagues, I pretty much turn down most of everything else because I want to focus my attention on on those leagues. You know, I'll usually invest between ten and twenty thousand dollars in teams a year, just depending. You know, it depends on how good I feel about the year, right? Every year is different. Like this year I feel better about than last year. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but there's a group of players that I think are drastically undervalued determine how much I'm gonna invest. It's not just a blanket. Well, yeah, I got I won you know, X. So I'm going to put 30% of that back in. Like last year I put less back in because I just didn't see a ton of huge edges. Once I did my projections and put those against ADP. And then I looked at the different formats, you know, because sometimes formats will help you, you know, for example, if you, there's some tight ends you love playing in a premium PPR format is going to be better for you versus if you think wide receivers give more value, it may be better to play in a three wide receiver uh, we're in a league where you must start three wide receivers and it's full point PPR. So all of this stuff kind of goes together. But for me this year, um, you know, I feel even better than I did last year. What's funny is the year before last, I felt awesome and it paid <laughs> off. Right. That's what, that's just incredible. So talking this year, then what, what do you think is going to change this year compared to last year and what makes this year better for you? Um, the biggest thing, well, for me, so kind of where I was headed with that is typically whenever I finish projections and then as I tweak them, as the preseason goes, you know, there's a few 
different things I look at, right? I actually do a floor and a true ceiling projection for every player. And I don't just do it based on, well, here's his 90th percentile and here's his 10th percentile and here's his 50th. And then just basically use standard deviation math. You can do that. And there's certain players where that's fine. But for the most part, when I'm thinking about the players where I care about this the most, it's the guys you can pick between round five and 10 of your draft that truly you can sit down and say, here are the three scenarios that could play out for this player. Let's, let's use an example, right, for the audience. And I think this kind of jumps ahead to some of the other questions you guys had about preseason and what to watch in the preseason. Um, so if you think about Aaron Jones, right, with the, with the Packers, I just put out an article on Aaron Jones at Football Guys, and it's, it's, it's what I call the projection spectrum. And what I've done is I've looked at what is Aaron Jones's realistic ceiling and then what is that based on? And then what is Aaron Jones's realistic floor and his median projection? And so as I start to find players that, and Aaron Jones this year is not a fifth rounder, he's a third rounder, but I believe Aaron Jones could, could be a first round pick next year. And in the reason why is because I look at, okay, here's the offense that's been brought in. So it's Matt LaFleur who comes from the Sean McVay mold. They're probably going to run 11 personnel from under center a lot more. They're going to use play action, Aaron Rodgers on more boots, naked boots. So it's going to create efficiency in the offense. The other thing that does is if Aaron Rodgers is not in the shotgun, uh, and just wanting to pass the ball 65% of the time. Instead, let's say they get passing down to like 59, 58%, and they're protecting him with this with these under, under center looks that's confusing the defense all the time. That's what Sean McVay has done. That Like if people want it in a nutshell, is NFL defenses are used to playing against 11 personnel. That means three wide receivers for anyone that's listening that doesn't know. NFL defenses are fine with that. Nickelbacks are now getting paid more than ever. They can match up. What they're not used to is a team coming out under center where the threat of the run is so much bigger. If you look at the averages for the NFL, teams pass like a run like 60-something percent under center, and then they pass over 60% out of shotgun. So it's an immediate tell when you come out under center or shotgun. Well, the Rams flip that on its head. They're coming out under center right? And they're running, but their play action game is so good, right? Off of that. And they use it just enough and they use passing just enough. And it's very efficient that it stresses defenses out. They don't know, they haven't quite figured out how to defend it. Now, Bill Belichick did. Bill Belichick obviously did that in the Super Bowl. So I expect more teams to do that, but that's what the Packers are going to do this year. So the other thing about this scheme is it creates a lot of open more open looks for Aaron Rodgers receivers whereas before it was just hey go win your one-on-one matchup this is a much more scheme-based approach right it's much more about you know using different route combinations against certain zones and things like that that create basically guys almost wide open or there's a lot of mismatches where you're getting your best player against linebackers and safeties so I expect Aaron Rodgers' efficiency to go up back to Aaron Aaron Jones the big part of that for him is if he's under center and they're not in shotgun passing all the time, then pass protection is not as important because the way they account for it is by getting the back quickly out into the flats and things like that, where they can quickly catch a pass and they're more of a hot check versus being asked to block a 280 pound defensive end that's running free. That's where Jamal Williams is better. So the thing I'm watching for in the preseason, you know, with this team is number one, are they, are they truly coming out more under center because Aaron Rodgers was arguing a bit with Matt LaFleur about that. And then number two, when they are in true shotgun, and if they're in like, say, an obvious passing down, like third and 12 or second and nine, any of those situations where the league's obviously going to lean pass, I want to see also, is Aaron Jones on the field then, right? 
Because if he is, then we can go ahead and lock in his ceiling projection, which means he's going to be a three down back and a really good offense. And he has a ceiling that's above that. That's just based on him blowing the top off of efficiency, right? So typically for yards per carry, I'm only going to project between four and four and a half yards per carry because it always regresses, but there's, Always within that ceiling, you know there's like this 5% chance that Aaron Jones does run for five yards, and he's a three-down back, and he hits some big plays for touchdowns like, say, Saquon Barkley did last year. And then you're looking at a back that could have 1,400 yards rushing, 12, 14 touchdowns, you know, 50, 60. I mean, he could be huge. And the thing is, where you're getting him in the third round now, basically he's perfectly priced for his median. You're not overpaying, and you still have upside left. Those are the kind of players you want to target. Right. And there's a ton of those this year. And, you know, back to your question, you know, what is the biggest difference? There's a bunch of guys just like that that are from rounds five to five through 10 that you can get. And I think they're mostly at receiver. DJ Moore is one. Dante Pettis is one. And I mean, we can jump more into whichever examples you guys want. No, absolutely. Um, I, I, I want to stay with the running backs for just a second, because you, you tweeted out the other day about uh, figuring out your approach for third and fourth round running backs. We mm-hmm. shared that out because for me, I think that is the first pivot point of the draft. I think the first two rounds is, depending on format, fairly predictable. There's not a ton of shocks and surprises you're going to see. You might see a guy go up a couple of spots. You might see a guy go back a couple of spots. But relatively speaking, the 24 players that go, if it's a 12-team league in the first two rounds, are typically from a pool of 27 players, give or take. So... Mm-hmm. Explain what you meant about the third and fourth round and why that's so important to get right with the running backs with. You've used Aaron Jones as an example, but, uh, you know, Devonta Freeman, for example, Kerryon Johnson, those sorts of players that are going for Josh Jacobs, for example, in that third, fourth round. Why is it so important to get that that part of the draft right? And, and if you don't, what are the consequences of, of potentially getting it wrong? Right. I- I think it's the biggest question because there's going to be several of those guys that are going to hit and they're going to give you upside. And I think there's going to be those guys that are just going to be frustrating. Um, and, and you, if you, if you make that mistake, it could literally cost you 100 points, right? And like a PPR format. So for example, Derek Henry, I don't want Derek Henry. If you really study Derek Henry, the only way he got his touches were in games where the Titans were leading. If you go, if you go use, you know, I don't know what tools you guys use, but a great place like your listeners where they can get, you know, something that's fairly cheap um, and and does this really quickly without having to go own all the data on your own is Rotoviz. So if you go look at their game splits app, you can go in. And one of the things I like to look at with players is how did they, how much of their performance came whenever their team was leading versus how much came when their team was trailing. And so if Derrick Henry, if you just put it right in the middle at the, the end of the game, you know, if it were to end at a, a, a point margin of zero, right, which would essentially be a tie, which doesn't happen, but the way the data works out, it will still split it down the middle of these. He would have in the games where the Titans were losing or in a close game, right. Where the game ended within, you know, zero so it could, it could literally be anything from zero to they lost by one, they lost by two, they lost by three, they lost by four. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So in that scenario, Derrick Henry only had like 650 yards rushing and he had two touchdowns. In scenarios where they won, so now we're talking about, you know, they won by 1.2 point, 2 point, 3 point, 4 points, 5 points, 6 points, whatever the case may be, they won the game at the end of the day, right? They had a positive, they had a net positive scoring margin. He was on pace for like 1,700 yards. So what, what is the key to unlocking Derrick Henry? Tennessee has to win more games and lead. 
Tennessee's in a tough division. I think they're still going to be up and down. The other thing that if you look at, uh, if you go look at Deion Lewis, like his routes ran per quarterback drop back down, down the stretch when Derrick Henry was getting all these carries and his target percentage uh, per pass attempt by the team, they never changed. So the other thing it tells me is that Deion Lewis hasn't gone away. Deion Lewis still had the same role. Derrick Henry was literally the perfect example of being game script dependent. He's not going to be involved in the passing game. He needs the team to be up to get his value. And then he also needs the, he needs to be able to break some big plays, right? A lot of his yardage came on big plays last year. All three of those things are very likely candidates for regression. Those are not things that stay at a high percentage over a long clip of time. So for me, I'm out on Derrick Henry. Now, if I were to see in the preseason, all of a sudden he's being used on passing downs and they're utilizing him differently, I would change my mind. But Leonard Fournette, on the other hand, all he has to do is stay healthy. And I know a lot of people will say, but he's never done it so far. Right. But injuries aren't discreet. Right. So when I say that, what I mean is, yeah, Derrick Henry may carry a, a 6% likelihood, right, that he's going to be injured this season. You can use some of these cool injury stat websites, or maybe it's 8%. But in, for, in order for that to be, be really valuable, I have to assume that the other players being drafted around him are at a zero. Even though some of those players have never been hurt, like the, I want to say the average NFL player carries like a 3% risk of having an ACL injury in a season. Yeah. So, right. so it's not discreet. It's literally, it's the delta. What's the delta between Leonard Fournette versus picking someone else at that pick? And it's like 2 or 3%. So the thing with Fournette, and you guys saw me take him in the Scott Fishbowl, he came back to me in the fourth round and I was happy, is all, all he has to do is be healthy and he's going to get 300 touches. And, and the running back game, it's about him. So for me, Aaron Jones, per, I, and there, again, I gave the audience the list of things I'd be looking for in the preseason. He could get downgraded in the preseason if those things aren't happening. But right now, my anticipation is that Aaron Jones is going to get to be three down back. Leonard Fournette is going to be a three down back. Derrick Henry is not. Josh Jacobs probably is going to give up most of the change of pace work to Jalen Richard. He's going to be on a bad team. Now, I like him. He's probably just a smidge overpriced. He should be more around the same price as Kenyon Drake, right? He shouldn't be going six, seven, eight picks ahead of Kenyon Drake, right? I love him as a player, and I'm excited about what he can do, and their offense should be better, but I, I put him slightly below those other guys. I wouldn't take him in the third round. I would take him at the end of the fourth. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, I, I sit with you there. I think I think a lot of it is down to how you want to construct your roster as well. I think it's something that we've, oh, yeah. we've been working on, and I think if you – it depends how you start your draft because I think if you start say wide receiver, wide receiver, or you start in a format like the Scott fishbowl, you start running, you know, you start maybe tight end quarterback for whatever, you know, for the reasons that the the board falls, I think you get pigeonholed into taking the guys that could potentially have. And and the thing is with, with people like Josh Jacobs, it's all potential. They look at Oakland and they look at that backfield and say, there's no way Josh Jacobs isn't going to get all the work because he's the most talented player. He's got the draft capital, but it's like you say, there are guys on that roster who were there last year. Doug Martin is still there and he, he does get touches. It's, it's not anything that's worthy of drafting in a fantasy format, but he does get work. And that, you know, for me, if I'm looking at Josh Jacobs, if I've pigeonholed myself to where I haven't got a running back, you're almost chasing that player's ceilings. So you're looking at someone like Jacobs, which is, I, that's my way of rationalizing why people are reaching for him. Because when you're looking at players like Drake, 
carry on Johnson and, and Jacobs who are all kind of in a similar ish ADP, give or take five picks aside. People see Drake and they see what happened last year and they see Miami being bad. People see carry on and they worry partly about the injuries, but they see how bad Detroit are. And then they see Oakland and they think, yeah, it's bad, but they've invested all of this. And now they've got a B and Derek Carr did have almost a MVP. And I can, I can see in that case, why people are reaching for him over the likes of Kerry and Drake. And Mm -hmm. I think it's all down to how you go through the first few rounds. And I think that's where, I think that's the part of ADP people don't understand is actually that there's a, you can take a player like that and you can get the logic for, for betting on him. But it's, I don't know. It's just uh, one of those things, I suppose. Well, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, so in the mid-stakes kind of drafts that I've done, when I'm picking down towards the end, um, which I've done, I think, in all of them, except for one, I had like the five pick. Um, I have typically started with a runner and a receiver. And usually I've taken the receiver first because either Hopkins or Adams will fall to me. And then coming back around the corner, there's someone like a Mitch, Connor, someone like that, you know, that's available. Um, you guys may have some other names you would want to throw out, but guys that you feel a little more confident, right, about their role than some of these other guys we're talking about. And what I've liked about doing that, back to your roster construction question, is then when I get, when it comes back to me in the third and the fourth, I feel like I'm much more open to constructing my roster in a way where in that third round pick, I can basically take the player I like the most. Because sometimes, like Adam Thielen, um, you know, even Keenan Allen has snuck back through down towards that end and you're available and to your point. Now you're not forced, right? You can go ahead and just take that player you have the most confidence in. And then out of that group of running backs, whoever comes back to you in the fourth, right? As long as it's not, you know, and even at that point, you know, somebody may decide Derrick Henry's worth it. I put Derrick Henry as value at more of an end of the fourth round pick like Josh Jacobs and carry on uh, Kenyon Drake. Um, but coming back around, Right. What I've seen happens a couple of times for me and I loved was Devonta Freeman or Leonard Fournette being there. Right. And those are players where really just injury needs to not we just need to avoid injury. And those two players are going to be rock solid from a volume standpoint. So then you're putting yourself in a situation like you said, I've started receive a receiver and a runner. Now I get to take the best player available. Maybe it's an Adam Thielen. And then coming back in the fourth round, I take, you know, a player like Devonta Freeman or Kerryon Johnson. Yeah, see, that's such a strong play, especially especially Freeman, because I don't understand this injury. Right. This injury curse that everyone has labeled him to have. You know, take last season out, he had a horrific injury. I, I still honestly am um, um, of the belief that if the Falcons were in playoff contention with two games to go, I think he would have come back. I yeah, I think the think biggest thing is, right, just no Tevin Coleman. He, just set the injury aside his anticipated role, right. Has to be 300 touches. There's really, I don't see a path to less unless something shocks us about, you know, Allison or, you know, Ido Smith had a chance to show what he had last year. And I honestly wasn't very impressed. He was in a really good offense and didn't do a lot, you know? And so Coleman's gone. That means more receptions. The other thing in a round, if you're taking it back, what's really nice to have and why I, move Derrick Henry out of the tier is you just want those catches. And Devontae Freeman is that gives you a safe floor every week, especially in half point and full point PPR leagues. And so I'm fully on board with you. I, the way I look at it is format Fournette and Freeman, just they should be going in the third round, right? Of every draft, you know, I, I put him in that category too. You know, some folks don't, but I think carry on Johnson, Henry and Jacobs, I think they carry a wider 
range of outcomes and they're better served as a fourth round pick. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can definitely buy into that. I think with the, the other thing go back to Freeman is, is, is if you take his last season out of isolation with the horrific injury, he's missed three games in four years. So I'm never concerned. People talk about concussions, but he never really misses game time. He might miss a few snaps at the end of the game here or there, but he's the path to 300, as you say, is quite, clear you know Fournette I, I have a harder time on Fournette because of the fact that he has such a, a deep lying history with injuries so for me I find it a little bit harder and if I'm ever torn into that that tier it will always be Freeman every time for me because I, I have more confidence in him playing 16 and he hasn't got the the team issues and the conflicts that have happened you know like having his guarantees taken away and things like that that are going to cause some gripes and in individual right I, I agree. I think that's sound. I, I drafted in a, it, admittedly it was super flex. So the ADP was slightly skewed, but I was drafting from the sixth spot, I think. And I started with Newt Hopkins and then I got Michael Thomas on the way back. And then third round, I went Lev Bell. Uh, fourth round, I went Fournette. So I negated this quarterback early on, but I had my starters locked in. It seems to be pretty strong. I do have a hot mess at quarterback, so I might have cost myself slightly. <laughs> but I think my starters are pretty strong. I like that approach. That, that's similar to what I did in the fishbowl. I went David Johnson, came back with Odell Beckham Jr., but then I just went Aaron Jones and Leonard Fournette and came back with Julian Edelman in the fifth, right? And then I grabbed my quarterbacks because it's super flex. That's pretty strong. Yeah, we. I still feel pretty good about Christian McCaffrey and Todd Gurley opening up. Oh, I'm not saying his lineup's <laughs> better than ours, man. Don't get me wrong. And then Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> and don't forget, we. I mean, we did take Dion Lewis. You brought Dion Lewis up. We took him at the 14:09. Yeah, you guys. That was yeah. And people like he's not like anything super flashy, but I think if you look at like where all the other backs that have passing down value go, he get. He goes so much later than them, and he's also a handcuff. If Derrick Henry gets hurt, he will be the guy. It's like yeah. people just forget that. Yeah, well, so yeah. I, I think it's a good play by you guys. The end of the 2017 season, Dion Lewis won people championships basically yes. on his own. Oh, believe me. I know. When Zach Ertz didn't catch that pass, you know what had done me in was the guy on the other team that had passed me in, in total points for the $250,000. They had stuck Dion Lewis you know, into their lineup at like, with just like a few seconds left, oh. like before game time. Yeah. So, and he had been hot. He had been hot down the stretch, right? You know, my team had basically been like, I had been in the top five, it's 8,400 teams. And my team had been in the top five to 10 and scoring the whole season. Like I had uh, Todd Gurley, I had, which I, who I got in the second round, Le'Veon Bell was that, that team. I had the one, one or one, two, something like that. I had, I had Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, and then I had turned around and taken um, – why is my mind going blank? The – oh, Kareem Hunt was my third-round pick. Oh. Yeah, so, like, that team was, like, literally – I mean, I didn't even have to start wide receivers <laughs> if I didn't want – like, just to win my individual league. Obviously, you know, the points are trying to, to win a point race with that many teams. Obviously, the, the receivers probably should have been a little better looking back at it now. But anyway – I think that same season I got to the final of our Epsom Home League and came up against Nuke, Gurley and Bell in the final. And I was just, well, that's me done. Thanks for coming. (laughs) (laughs) That's rough. Um, Just before we move on to 
projections uh so the last question in this piece is um can, can you share with with some of our listeners some we've, we've talked about a few value players we talked about tiers in the, the third fourth round running backs but some value picks to keep an eye on in drafts that have a, a huge chance of outperforming their their adp yeah so you heard me kind of start with this and this is why i'm excited you know with you know the prospects for this season and the, and I'll, I'll quickly outline just a few quick guys and you guys can tell me to move on i don't know how much you want me to do but mainly the thing is I believe there's a lot of value at receiver this year. So if you want to start off, you know, with a receiver and a runner, that's fine, but it's very easy to start off runner, runner. And and here's why. So if you look at who's going typically the fifth round or later in most leagues, DJ Moore um, for the Carolina Panthers. And I put him ahead of guys like Chris Godwin. I put him ahead of Tyler Lockett. I put him ahead of Calvin Ridley and, and, you know, spe- specifically with Godwin and Ridley, and here's why. I put him ahead of those two because unlike Ridley and Godwin, he doesn't have to deal with having a Mike Evans or a Julio Jones on his team. He There is a path, right? There is a reasonable projection ceiling for him that includes him getting 26 to 27% right, of the team's targets. Yes, could Curtis Samuel out-target him? Yeah, that could happen. But Curtis Samuel isn't Julio Jones and he isn't Mike Evans. So DJ Moore is a first-round pick from a year ago, and he's a perfect fit for the kind of offense they're now running, right? North Turner has totally changed their offense around last season to truly you know, take advantage of a lot of the things that his players can do on this offense, such as DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey, right? So DJ Moore is a guy that, I've got him projected at like 21% of the targets right now, but he has an upside to be in the 26, 27% range. Um, Dante Pettis is my next. Um, And Dante Pettis, the thing with this guy is he's uncoverable. (laughs) I don't know how much film you guys watch, but if if you get a chance just to go watch anyone, I would, any of your listeners, if they say, Hey, watch one wide receiver in the league, I'll usually give them, you know, two and one I'll say, Hey, go watch a guy like Keenan Allen or go watch a guy like Amari Cooper. They're elite, elite separators. They get they're wide open every play. I mean, literally, cornerbacks are on skates. If you go watch Dante Pettis, you're going to see the same thing. The guy is elite, um, and he's gonna. I believe he will be the clear number two target in San Francisco this year. Uh, which, if you look back at the history of this kind of offense, remember um, Andre Johnson, Rod Smith, Ed McCaffrey. I mean, there's a long list of, you know, Josh Gordon one year. There's a long list of actually Josh Gordon's hugest year was with North Turner, not with Shanahan. So scratch that one. But there's a huge list of of receivers that have been big in this offense. It wouldn't surprise me if he out targets George Kittle just because he's literally so open on every play when you go watch him. And this wasn't just against getting to play from the slot or, or getting to play against bad corners. Many times he took the best corner of the other team and he was lining up wide. He was on the line of scrimmage. His release is amazing. He knows how to get right. And he knows how to turn the defender around really quickly, get right in their back pocket. And as soon as they turn their head one way or the other, he's breaking the other. And, and I mean, literally go watch him. He'll, he'll be open by like five yards. It's crazy. So I'm super excited about Dante Pettis. Um, a few other names that I'll just throw out, and you guys have heard some of these from me before, but, you know, Vance McDonald at tight end, you know, is huge just because, I mean, you've got James Washington is can be on this list too. I put him further down, but James Washington's unproven. You know, Dante Moncrief has never really done anything, and it's not like he didn't have a good quarterback because some people are like, oh, but Moncrief's got Ben Roethlisberger. Well, Dante Moncrief had Andrew Luck for a long time as well. So 
Um, I'm not completely sold on Moncrief and the more I read about their plan for him, he seems like more of a deep threat, which to me means Juju Smith Schuster and Vance McDonald could be, you know, the top targets. I have McDonald projected at like 15 to 16% of the targets right now. It will not surprise me though, if he hits 20%. And if he does that, he will be knocking on the door of the top three and you can get him in round eight or nine. He's pretty much part of my draft plan. I do not draft tight end early this year unless one of the top three like fall really, really slides to me outside. Or if I'm in a, if I'm in a uh, super, or if I'm in a a league that does tight end um, premium where, you know, it's extra points for tight end catches versus receivers and runners, then I may consider one of the others sooner. But in most of my leagues that are two running back, three wide receiver, one tight end where everything's equal, I'm waiting. Vance McDonald could truly pay off huge for you this year. And it allows you to throw more darts at the receivers and runners earlier. Um, and then at quarterback, the guy that, you know, people still, it's just a deep year at quarterback. My number one thing I would say, unless you're in a super flex, just don't draft them early period. Just don't, there's too many. So I'll typically wait till the 13th, 14th round and like a 20 round draft. If it's a 15 round draft, I'm usually waiting till the 11th, 12th round. And I'm usually ending up with Jameis Winston. And quite often I get Cam Newton as well because people are just scared of his shoulder. Um, so those are two guys that I'm taking a lot at quarterback that I think are undervalued. Um, last two quick names. I won't say anything about them, but Ronald Jones and then Marquise Valdez-Scantling are also two guys that um, I find myself drafting on a lot of my teams. I was surprised not to hear Albert Wilson come out of your mouth. Well, he's on there. He's on there, but he's even super. Uh, he's super deep. But yes, Albert Wilson, I draft almost every draft unless I'm in a draft with you guys. And then you guys draft Albert Wilson. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> We we literally now, if we're in a draft with people who listen to the podcast, we have to almost take Albert Wilson as our third receiver because people make a point of drafting him just so we don't get him. You can that. That's only happened in one draft. Yeah, no, I know, because we draft him earlier now to make sure we get him. Well, not that early. We're not drafting him. The earliest we've drafted him in any league is the 11th round. I'm pretty sure we took him a lot later at the start of our... Oh, we were getting him in like the 14th round. Like yeah. We've had to move him up a couple of rounds, but... I'm still comfortable. He goes higher and higher, yeah. No, and I love him. And he's a good guy to be on, right? Because Chad O'Shea is going to bring that offense from New England that they're going to try to run. You know, the Dolphins are going to be a hot mess, but he has a chance to easily be the number one targeted receiver playing the Julian Edelman role. One quick thing, like you guys talked about what to watch for in the preseason. You, you, know, you had some questions on that. This is one other guy that you want to watch. The one thing to watch out for with Albert Wilson is he's never truly created a lot of his yards on true routes right? They've been more bubble screens, that kind of stuff. And if that's all he can do, it's going to limit his application on the field. What I want to see in the preseason is them doing the things we think they'll do, which is move him around, motion him. He'll be playing out of the slot, but then I want to see him running a bigger route tree and creating separation. I want to see you know, him running like the whip routes, which is where they kind of quickly fake inside and then go outside. Think of Wes Welker, out routes, quick slant routes, quick drags, things like that. He was actually really good on short crossers and drags already, but some of the hard breaking type routes, he's never had to make part of his arsenal. And if he wants any shot at having 20 plus percent of target share, he's those things have to be within his tool bag or he just won't be, his application won't be wide enough to get there. Yeah, well, Murph, again, two days in a row now, uh, people who are more professional in the biz than us have bigged up your boy, Albert Wilson. So <laughs> I think you've done well with him, sir. Well played. It, it's, yeah, it's only been four months. But it, 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 do you know what it is? It's just with, with players like that, you have to look at players who are due a breakout. And with him, it's health. But the, this price makes it so easy to punt him. It makes it so easy to draft because 
you're not going to find anybody with his kind of upside in the 12th, 13th round. You're just not. I agree. So totally agree. Why would you not do it? Because if it doesn't pan out, it's costing okay. yeah. you. Yeah, no, that's fair. Let's yeah, he has, he, he could like, sorry, he could hit 30% target share. Like that's not something we're going to predict, but it could happen. Mm. Right. I mean, I don't think any of us believe in Devonte Parker anymore. He's had enough chances, right? Kenny Stills is nice, but their, their offensive line is terrible. So it makes sense to try to get rid of the ball quickly. I think he and Kenny Drake could be the two leading pass receivers on the offense. The other guy that I think you guys liked that I actually took, so I, I don't want to own 20 Dolphins, but Gusecki is the other guy. Love right? Gusecki, yeah. Really high on Gusecki. And his like, ADP on sleep at the moment is so low. He's predicted to get something like 15 points throughout the season or something. Which I don't understand how that projection yep. is being put out there, given the fact that he is just the, the athletic profile he has. But then on top of that... The there's no one who's going to take the job for Mike Gazeki. There's no one there. <laughs> I'm with you. There's no one there. Who's any, gonna... any one of those guys could be the number one target on the team. Albert yeah. Wilson, Gazeki, or Kenyon Drake. It wouldn't. But that, that's what I love about you know people talk about you draft people from bad offenses. Like you shouldn't be drafting you know from the Dolphins. But when you're getting guys like that for nothing. Trey Quinn is another one I absolutely love this year. I've got absolutely no doubt in my mind, barring injury, that Trey Quinn will lead the Redskins in targets and target share. So I just think you can get him in like the 15th, 16th, 17th round in places. It's just like, why wouldn't you pick him up? He's going to lead in targets in the PPR league. If it's for a guy who's going to be your wide receiver six or seven, (laughs) he's absolute gold. Yeah, worst case, he's a great bye week filler. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Best case, he's trade bait. Yes. Let's talk some NFL projections. You recently wrote a piece on mattwaldermanrsp.com about this. Can you share sort of the premise to it and explain why fantasy football players should be looking to do the same? Yeah, I think the, the biggest premise behind it, we hit on a little bit earlier, is by doing your own projections. You know, for me, and I think one of you mentioned earlier, even if you're bad at it, <laughs> I wrote about that in this article. My first set of projections were freaking terrible <laughs> you know because I look at them after every season you know and I work on trying you know that's how you fine-tune okay how do I get better and the biggest mistake I made right out of the gate is I didn't take a top-down you know approach you know I didn't start with teams and understand how many plays the league runs and so what happens is all of a sudden bias sneaks in well I gotta give this guy more he's capable of this or that and I went I remember going back I I want to say because I saved them um I went back, I want to say like five or six years after I'd first done those first projections. I think I had, I think I had the, the, of all the teams. So 32 teams, I think I had them running like, I I can't remember now, but it was thousands of plays more than what you would normally see from the league. Like it was significant. It wasn't just like, Oh, 2%. I want to say it was like 8% or something. So the, the one thing that I would say to folks is it forces you to understand how these teams work. There's only, there's only so many ways a pie can be divided. Right. And so it quickly teaches you things like what we were just talking about. The number one target on a really bad team actually can hold just as much value as the number two target on a really good team, but you need to understand roster construction. You need to understand a, a, the way a coach works, you need to understand the strength of the player. All these things come together. And the only way to truly figure that stuff out is to go dig in. And the way that I force myself to dig in is by owning and doing the projections myself. So 
that's, that's, that's the biggest takeaway. And, and that was kind of the premise of why I wrote this article, you know, for folks. One is if you want to do projections, basically I'm going to help you skip 10 to 15 years of having to learn everything. And it's going to help you focus on what things are probably the most important. So you don't feel overwhelmed, right? Because like we talked about earlier, there's so much data today. Um, so uh, for me, even if you don't go do projections, understanding how they work and understanding what should be part of that thought process at least helps you think about whose opinion you should be valuing, right? Because I still look to other experts, but I don't, I don't look to folks that I know don't truly go in and look at all the things that you know, I lay out in this article. If I don't think they do those things, I don't listen to them, period. I think that makes sense. And that ties on to sort of my next question in terms of um, establishing ground rules for your process. Um, when it comes to setting up your projections. So talk, talk through, I mean, we'll share the article out again so that people can, can read it, but just talk and talk about the, the setting up of those ground rules and why it's important just not to deviate from them and, and have a structure to, to aim for and a, and a goal in mind. Right. Well, there's a couple of reasons, you know, why one I already mentioned, right. Which it's going to protect you from over inflating league wide, right. The number of plays. And it also helps you reflect, you know, you can quickly see when you're working through your projections, I have the league projected to pass 63% of the time and run 30%, 37% of the time. And then you look back and you see, Oh, last year it was 57, 43, right. That you, it, it helps protect you from either inflating the amount of plays or, overinflating a certain, you know, path, right. Which is passing versus running. So that's key. The other thing that it does um, is within the context of the team is it helps you make sure that, you know, you don't say, okay, um, for example, um, Philip Rivers is going to throw for 4,200 yards this year. You, you don't want to give out 5,000 receiving yards to Philip Philip uh, Rivers, you know, pass target guys, right. You don't want to give out more receptions. You don't want to give out more targets. So, by understanding uh, using a top-down approach, starting with the coach, looking, you know, at the context of the team and figuring out how many plays you think they're going to run, and then looking at how many wins Vegas has them at, that tells you how often they're going to be trailing or most likely going to be trailing or leading. Then that helps you come to your splits decision, rushing versus passing. Right? Most teams that win more are going to rush more. Teams that are losing all the time are going to pass more but then you can take into context also that coach. Some coaches, even though they're losing, will still run more than other coaches. But that ultimately then helps you make sure that you start with the, you start with the right size pie. <laughs> then you can start to slice it up as you go down and start to divvy that out based on roster construction, who you think the number one running back on the team is going to be, right? Okay, what is the coach's tendency here? Um, what kind of players did the coach have whenever he had that tendency? Oh, wow. He didn't have Saquon Barkley. So I might just throw that out the window. He's probably just going to give it all to Saquon Barkley. Those are the sort of things that you then start to work through, but it, but it protects you like, like we're saying from overinflating one area or the other. The other thing for me is it just protects against, and I mentioned this earlier is bias, right? It's so easy because you get this, you can't help it. It happened to me. Like I'll give a perfect example. This year I got to Mike Williams on the chargers and I was excited, right? Cause he's a young player. You got Tyrell Williams gone. And I'm thinking, man, you know, Mike Williams is probably going to be in that, in that group of players that I mentioned earlier, DJ Moore, Dante Pettis, et cetera, et cetera. And he's not, he's not because I use this process. If I had been doing what I did 20 years ago and I was just excited about Mike Williams, I would have over projected him. But here I know Hunter Henry's coming back. I know how often Philip Rivers likes to target tight ends. I know how much Anthony Lynn values tight ends in his offense. I know that Keenan Allen is clearly the one. 
I know that Keenan Allen was actually on pace for about 27% target share before injuring his hip the last three weeks. So there's only so much to go around. I can't give Mike Williams 22% of the targets like I probably would have, you know, 15 years ago. The reality is he's going to be between 15 and 20%. You're going to depend on touchdowns. So that's why it's important to create those ground rules. Yeah, definitely. And so based on, on that, you know, you've touched upon roster construction. You've talked about estimated game flow by talking about looking at the Vegas lines and coaching tendencies. And, and then there's obviously player talent and fit that you talk about. If, if you're a first time person and you're thinking about doing your, your projections and that's a lot of information to try and get right to begin with. So what would you say is out of those, the, the really important one to understand because by getting it hugely wrong, it's just going to skew everything and make it worse. Right. And then which of those metrics would you say are a little bit more uh, subjective to, to be cautious of when you're creating or, or thinking about maybe bias creeping in there? Right. Well, I think the most subjective by far is talent, right? Now there are ways, there are different ways to think about talent. One is the conversations, right. That go on between, you know, all the folks that spend so much time watching film. Matt Waldman is one of the best. And I follow a lot of what he says because I know he, like I put a process behind projections. He's got a process behind, you know, watching film and he's got a process and how he grades and how he grades players. But outside of, you know, what he does, I've, you know, I feel like that's a very subjective area. Now, one, a different way of thinking about it is what's, and I do this, what's the draft capital invested in a player. So last year, Saquon Barkley is the one, number one overall pick. Everybody thinks he's super talented, but I also know he's probably going to get his chance because they just spent the number one overall pick on a running back. So the safer way to go from a, from a player talent standpoint is to either a lean on experts you trust, right? And you can still watch it. You want to watch it because it's fun, right? We're doing this because we're passionate about it. You still want to have an opinion. But don't let that overweight how you start allocating your your targets and your carries to these players because it is the most subjective way. Take some other things into account, right? The thing that if if someone doesn't want to get overwhelmed, that I would say is a really big part of of the work from the amount of work you have to do is all of the coaching stuff, you know, an easier way when you're starting out um, is if you want to just look at their Vegas wins and then basically, know on average teams that, you know, are going to loot, they're probably going to win five or six games. They pass about this much. They run about this much. And then you can just use league averages for plays, right? Cause, because really there are, there are outliers where there's certain coaches that are just, they run more plays than everyone else. And then there's coaches that run less plays than everyone else, but most everybody's kind of jumbled in the middle. So you, if you know that, you know, the league average is 975 attempts and you know that teams that trail more than they pass are typically a 60 to 40 ratio pass to run, you're, you're not going to be super far off, right, versus what you're getting out of a coaching database, which takes a lot of time to build. So I would say that would be the piece that folk, it's, it's a piece that differentiates me and it's why so many people reach out to me and want to talk to me and it's fun. But if I was just starting, and I didn't want to go build something like that out because it's not easily accessible. There's not any really anything on the web that just gives you all of that. You have to build it yourself. I would say it's the coaching stuff. Um, but the thing that I would say I would prioritize, you know, the most would be really just looking at, and again, you have to be careful with the player talent, but it's roster construction. So one of the quick things I'll do right away when I sit down and I put all my notes down about the team and I'll let that marinate. And then when I come back through in my first pass of my projections, I don't get super technical. I sit down and I look at it and let's just take, you guys give me a team, name a team. 
Broncos. Broncos. Okay, so let's go look at Denver in my projections right now. I sit down, and the first thing – and I keep this where I can see it in my projections. I sit down, and let's say I'm talking about how I'm going to handle the Denver passing game. I literally just list them in order of who I think is going to get the most targets. That's like my first pass at it. So Emmanuel Sanders is probably the one if he's not hurt, right? So you've got to monitor that with him, so you've got an asterisk by it. But then I would say Cortland Sutton is probably – the, or you could call it a 1A and a 1B. They're probably going to be really close. That's basically the way I wrote it. Was I have them both at 18%. And then I've got the three as Noah Fant. And so then I end up giving him 14%. You know, and then I've got uh, Philip Lindsay as the fifth. Or sorry, just, uh, I've got um, Deshaun Hamilton as the fifth most targeted. And then I've got Philip Lindsay as the uh, – sorry, Hamilton fourth and Lindsay fifth. But – you see what I did? It wasn't like super hard. I sit down and think about who are their receivers. If Emmanuel Sanders is truly healthy, he's their best receiver. <laughs> Cortland Sutton is going into his second year. He was a second round pick. He's still going to get his chance. He's probably going to be the second most targeted guy on the team. Third, then became Noah Fant because they just been a first round pick. If I, and, but then this is where the coordinator stuff starts to come in more. I know historically Rich Scangarello, that kind of offense that comes from Kyle Shanahan loves to use the tight end. Think about George Kittle. Think about Shannon Sharp. I mean, we can go back and name, you know, tons and tons of tight ends that have excelled in that type of environment. But at the end of the day, it still kind of comes down to where people, a lot of your listeners probably would have sat down and had the same list of here's, here's how that would go. It's Emmanuel Sanders or Cortland Sutton first, Noah Fans probably third, Philip Lindsay or Deshaun Hamilton's fourth and fifth. And it didn't change a ton based on once I took into account everything, you know, with Rich Scangarello as the coordinator. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's sort of unclouded a little bit of my cloudy, <laughs> what I had going on in my head, because it was difficult to try and apportion. But I suppose if you know how many targets you have the team distributing out, and then you have a list of A to Z, who you think is going to get them and attribute a percentage, the sort of the math breaks itself down almost on its own, doesn't it? Yeah, and you think of the players as tiers, right? So Emmanuel Sanders pre-injury would have clearly been the one in my mind, and Sutton would have been the two. So it probably would have been more of like a 22 23% to Sanders and then like a 15% to Sutton. In this case, I see it being a much more balanced offense because of the questions around Emmanuel Sanders, and I gave them both 18%. But if you go do the Falcons – Everybody pretty much knows Julio Jones. Any fan of football knows Julio Jones is probably going to see the most targets on the team. So all someone that's doing projections need to know is what is an elite wide receiver typically? It's 27 to 30%. So then you easily just say, okay, he's the one. He's 27. Now what do I have left? <laughs> I've got the rest of my list. I've got Calvin Ridley as two. I've got Hooper as my three. I've got Sanu as my four. I've got Freeman as my five. How do I need to now think about splitting that out, knowing that 27% is immediately gone? I can't turn around and give 25% to Calvin Ridley if I really think that Hooper and Muhammad Sanu are still going to be pretty involved. Do you attribute all 100% of the attempts out, or do you do the majority and just say the rest could go anywhere? I do the majority and pretty much say the rest can go anywhere. And I always try to leave headroom because there's you never, I never give out 100% of anything except maybe touchdowns. Occasionally I will. But I try to leave margins, right? Because there's going to be a lot of players that will catch, you know, they, they're only on, they get called up from the practice squad and they catch however many passes for three weeks. <laughs> and then, you know, they're released. So, I mean, there's injuries, so many things that go into play. So typically I will project 80 to 90% of targets. I'm usually around 85%. 
receptions then follow that's somewhere around 85 to 90 percent you know and then my yardage is somewhere around there and then touchdowns is usually somewhere between like 90 and 100 percent that i that project i was gonna say cause some teams it's easier than others sorry yeah, I was about to say, yeah, I was about to say some teams will be easier than others, and then you get to like the New Orleans Saints, and you're sitting there trying to work out how much Taysom Hill and Dan Arnold are going to get. I don't bother with it. It's it's diminishing returns, to be yeah. honest. I just make sure that there's a percentage left for those guys, for those for those players to get there still, but I don't need to exhaust myself with it. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, so based on this, again, we'll, we'll, we'll share share the article out because it, it it really does help people to to think about if, they, if this is what they want to get into or or have a go before the season starts. It, it really gives them a good a good leg up and, and saves a lot of the groundwork. But are there any sort of final tips or hints that you can give people as to, you know, how that, you know, from maybe some of the mistakes, well, not mistakes, but learnings that you've made from, from doing this for so long or even just interpreting uh, projections from, from analysts if they see that their numbers are coming out similar to, to analysts that they might be following, for example? Yeah, no, I think you know, the ground rules that we shared already. And then some of these points we've already laid out, but like, if I were to put, you know, my parting, you know, thoughts around this together, you know, for your audience, it would just be know that it's just not going to be perfect. Right. And that you're starting a journey and you're going to iterate along the way. And iteration is important. So for example, with the Cardinals, there's just a lot of unknown right now. Right. So I'm not trying to get the Cardinals, you know, nailed out of the gate. Preseason is going to matter a lot for me with the Cardinals. On the other hand, if I, you know, look at a team that, and there's so many teams that have offensive coordinator changes, et cetera, and things like that, and and a lot of roster turnover. But if I look at a team like the Chiefs, and I know Andy Reid, I know what he does. I know Pat Mahomes, I know what he does. And I know who Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are. And I know who Sammy Watkins is. I'm, my projections are probably not going to change a lot on those guys. Of course, I mean, we just found out Tyreek Hill's actually going to be playing. So first pass had to have that out of there. But my point being with the Cardinals, I'm okay. Not, I don't expect to be 100% right. I'm basically, I've created a placeholder. <laughs> and then I want to see how do these receivers play? We have no clue if Andy Isabella is going to be the main third receiver. Hakeem Butler could step in there. We're, we're, we kind of think Larry Fitzgerald is likely playing outside, but we still have to see if that plays out. Um, the offensive line is terrible, but a lot of people think that, oh, if you have Kyler Murray, you're just going to overcome that. So for me, preseason when the Cardinals is going to tell me a ton about how these projections may change. Whereas with the Chiefs, 20,000 puff pieces about how, you know, uh, Sammy Watkins is going to overtake Tyreek Kill as the lead pass catcher on this team. And I would never buy it, right? Because I know the way this team works. I know the way Andy Reid works. And I know about the talent on the team. So I put it, I put that out there because not all of your team, some of your teams are going to be more perfect than others. And you want to kind of ignore the noise, especially before camps start, you know, we're kind of coming out of that phase now. And then there's other teams where you need to be prepared to make, you know, big changes. And what I do, every team I go through, the other thing I do is in my projections, I've got a key. And so, and some of you see me post these on Twitter and I do this every once in a while, but I've got a specific um, you know, thing that I do with players that I'm not sure about their role and I have them underlined. And so I've got players on every team that I have underlined that is this, this is something you have to watch in preseason to try to better figure out what this person's role is. And then those are the people I will spend the majority of my time going back and tweaking, you know, through the preseason. But again, biggest thing is just don't, it's not going to be perfect out of the gate, right? You know, enjoy the process, enjoy learning, 
And then, you know, with some teams, you're going to make more changes than others. I can't wait to start my projections again and, and tweak them more than I did before because I was a little concerned they weren't going to be right. So it'd be interesting to see how they change once I apply the process that you just explained to Rush Nation because I think they could be very different, shall we say, without beating myself up too much. You're probably closer than you think. Uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> let's compare let's compare notes at some point you you ping me with a team on twitter and let's do it for the audience we'll just have fun with it and we'll we'll go back and forth on it and they can enjoy that i love that yes i'll facilitate and i'll be completely neutral well we i'm could, we sure could... you'll be so neutral <laughs> i know i will i i generally if i say i'm gonna be neutral i'll be i'll be neutral yeah well, or we just triple threat it go tables ladders chairs and just hash it right <laughs> <laughs> i'm game this 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 okay let me let me work on mine for a bit and then we'll tweet something out <laughs> Dwayne, this has been an absolute blast and i've learned so much why don't you tell people where they can find your articles where you are on twitter and so forth yeah so you can follow me on twitter at Dwayne mcfarland that's d-w-a-i-n-m-c-f-a-r-l-a-n-d and then as far as my work's concerned, you can find uh, my work at footballguys.com and then also at mattwaldmanrsp.com. And then every Tuesday or Wednesday night, my partner and I, uh, Brian Drake, you can uh, he's at Fantasy Drake on um, Twitter. We put out a podcast called The Fantasy Football Hustle. And like I said, about that's every Tuesday or Wednesday night. You, on Twitter, that's at FF Hustle. It's a it's a great podcast. It's quite new with the six episodes in. Yeah, we've been doing them for over a year, but we switched. It used to be the Tuesday night hustle, but we switched it to the fantasy football hustle. So that's the FF hustle just because, you know, we're usually a we don't always stick to Tuesday nights. And then number two, you know, I was just like, hey, we should probably have the words fantasy football in here somewhere. Just so when people are searching, <laughs> you know, they can find uh, our podcast. No, it's, it's brilliant i'll be listening to them and it they're, they're really good i recommend them out on the pod a few weeks ago and yeah definitely uh definitely do subscribe that uh, i had to bump a podcast from the schedule i'm not going to name what it is on on air but it was well worth the substitution <laughs> oh, thanks man we appreciate that <laughs> well rush nation i did forget to mention earlier don't forget to head over to beermenow.co.uk slamming the code five yard rush for 50 percent off your first subscription box it means only 12 pound 50 you get eight beers and a snack so what's cheaper than that nothing you, what can you do for 12 pound 50 apart from get eight beers there's probably loads of stuff but that's the best thing you can do with your 12 pound 50 so that's beermenow.co.uk code five yard rush Dwayne, this has been an absolute blast thank you so much for coming on murph it's been good to have you back in the studio buddy i'll see you tomorrow but as always rush nation don't forget keep rushing entitled to sexual health just as much as physical and mental health we want to make it easier for folks to find resources however they engage with us there's no wrong door so it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming talking about what their sex life is about their concerns and to make sure they're healthy do it for them do it for you montgomery county your sexual health matters visit doitforyoumc.org Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.